Welcome to Come and See, a home-centered, podcast-supported gospel doctrine lesson uh, that covers Jacob 5 through 7. My name is Sam Wrencher, and I've decided to improve this podcast by a hundredfold over last week because, or how is that, Wendy, my incredible wife, is joining me as a co-host of our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, I don't know about for all of you, but it's been quite the week um, between coronavirus and and online school starting and earthquakes and our son Daniel. We found out we'll be coming home from his mission in the Philippines um, because of the coronavirus. So uh, we've been a little bit distracted, I think you could say. And oh, yes. it's been, um, anyway, it's been quite the week. So hopefully this will turn out okay. I don't know if it's our most amazingly prepared we've ever been to teach something, but we're going to give it our best shot. So yes, we're going to do the best we can. So let's, let's, let's read just a couple verses in Jacob four before five. Um, Jacob 4, 17, Jacob poses this question. He says, and now, my beloved, how is it possible that these, that's us or the house of Israel, after having rejected the sure foundation or once they've sinned, can they ever build upon it that it may become the head of their corner? It's a great question. It's something that I think many of us have thought before, wondered, you know, when we've made mistakes or sinned, um, which is rejecting the Savior, how is it that we can come back? What do we do after that? Well, he says in 18, Behold, my beloved brother, and I will unfold this mystery unto you, if I do not by any means get shaken from my firmness in the Spirit and stumble because of my over-anxiety for you. Jacob 5, or the allegory of the olive tree, is answering that question. Where is my standing? What, what can I do once I've made mistakes? So there's lots of really interesting things um, in this allegory, lots of symbols, um, and we're not really going to have a chance to maybe really delve into those and talk about all of them um, in this podcast. Yeah, there's also lots of history, really interesting history, but uh, we really don't have time for the history either, so we won't be including that. What uh, we will be including, or what we always should pay attention to, is remembering that the Book of Mormon is about Jesus. And the allegory of the olive tree is no different. Ultimately, it is all about Jesus. So we should be looking for Jesus in, uh, in this allegory. Even look for statements like, he'll say, I will, I take, I caused, I might, I have done, I, I nurture. Um, for instance, in verse 8, it says, And behold, saith the Lord of the vineyard, I take away many of these young and tender branches, and I will graft them whithersoever I will. And it mattereth not that if it so be that the root of this tree will perish, I may preserve the fruit thereof unto myself. Wherefore, I will take these young and tender branches, and I will graft them whithersoever I will. This really is Jesus's story. It's his work. He's the one that um, is able to 
um, make the story come to pass, to fulfill the story, to, to give us the covenants that we need. And so as we read this allegory, we really do want to look for him um, as the central figure. So one of the ways that Jesus works with us, one of the things that he does is he makes covenants with his children. Uh, so we're going to look a little bit about covenants. Let's start with verse 18. It says, And he said unto the servant, Behold, the branches of the wild tree have taken hold of the moisture of the root thereof, that the root thereof hath brought forth much strength. And because of the much strength of the root thereof, the wild branches have brought forth tame fruit. Now if we had not grafted in these branches, the tree thereof would have perished. And now, behold, I shall lay up much fruit, which the fruit thereof hath brought forth, and the fruit thereof I shall lay up against the season unto mine own self. Well, that's that's kind of Old Testament language. So I just simply rewrote the verse in basic, just plain English of what I understand from verse 18. So let me read it again. But this is just my own words. It says, And Jesus said to his servant, Behold, or check out the Gentiles, they have accepted my gospel and my covenants. Because of the much strength that comes from the covenants, the converted covenant-keeping Gentiles have done much good and will be greatly blessed. Now, if we had not baptized the Gentiles into the covenant family, the entire house of Israel would have spiritually died. They did make covenants, though, and now there is much righteousness, and that covenant-keeping will reap many countless blessings. Covenants is how the Lord um, adopts us into the house of Israel and gives us power. Let's read verse 11 also. It says, And the Lord of the vineyard caused that it should be digged about and pruned and nourished, saying unto his servant, It grieveth me that I should lose this tree. Wherefore, that perhaps I might preserve the roots thereof, that they perish not, that I might preserve them unto myself, I have done this thing. So Jesus causes that those who have made covenants with him are nourished and taken care of. That is uh, primarily the, the house of Israel. And if you are Gentile and you get baptized, well, then you are grafted into the house of Israel. And that nourishing um, teaches us a principle that we can apply in our own lives. Um, in verse 12, it says, Wherefore, go thy way, watch the tree and nourish it according to my words. So Jesus, all throughout these chapters, talks about how he nourishes us. I nourish my vineyard. Um, if we look in verse 25, it says towards the end, it says, I have nourished this tree like unto the others. And over in verse 47, it says, what could I have done more in my vineyard? Jesus always constantly ministering and serving and working with us. He wants to do everything he can because he loves the vineyard. But the principle for us is how are we going to nourish the vineyard? What is our responsibility in reaching out and helping to minister to others? Um, we can also look in Jacob chapter 6, verse 2. And it says, And the day that he shall set his hand again the second time to recover his people is the day, yea, even the last time that the servants of the Lord shall go forth in his power to nourish and prune his vineyard, and after that the end soon cometh. And so 
we see also that profits are reaching out to nourish us. Um, I think we've seen that from President Nelson. Um, he has released so many videos and um, inspirational messages just in the last, uh, since, since last conference that are trying to nourish our spirits to help us to um, hang on to those covenants, to help us to seek Jesus, to help us to study the restoration. So he's reaching out to nourish us, to help us to grab hold and to, to help our roots to be strong. Um, what is it that we can do to nourish the people that we are responsible for? I think that's a great question. Um, in this era of social distancing, um, what is it, how, how can we still help our neighbors and our, those that we minister to, our family, our friends? I don't know, what do you think? It's tricky. We don't necessarily do it the same way. It's it's hard to take food to people because they may not feel like it's safe. <laughs> the whole world is weird. <laughs> that, is, that is very true. But, but we, go ahead. But we need to still be doing it. it. It's partly something else we learned from this chapter that I really love is that the Lord is giving us the opportunity to do it with him, to be serving people and helping them. Um, we read about it all through the chapter. Um, here's just a couple of examples. This is verse 15. And it came to pass that a long time passed away, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, Come, let us go down into the vineyard that we may labor in the vineyard. It's let us go down that we may labor. It's Jesus laboring with us, or in 75, about halfway down, and blessed art thou for, because ye have been diligent in laboring with me in my vineyard, and have kept my commandments, and have brought unto me again the natural fruit. Again, he's talking about um, we're blessed because we have labored with him. And then he also talks about the joy that you receive. Behold, ye shall have joy with me because of the fruit of my vineyard. And as you were reading that, some of the things that came to mind is that maybe it's that we have to do a better job of seeking Jesus and asking him how we can minister, how we can nourish people, even in a time where maybe we aren't seeing each other on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, are we getting personal revelation regularly about how we can minister to our friends and to our family um, in ways that will be meaningful to them um, when we can't minister maybe in the ways that we have in the past. Yeah, and maybe partly also as we're serving, yeah, are we including the Savior? Are we making sure that we are serving with him? We're including him. That's when it's effective, not when we're just doing our own thing in our own way. I like that. So I want to come back to that original question uh, because verse 37 does a really great job of answering it. You know, what happens when we do sin and make mistakes? Verse 37 says, But behold, the wild branches have grown and have overrun the roots thereof. And because of the wild branches have overcome the roots thereof, it hath brought forth much evil fruit. So now the house of Israel is sinning. And because that it hath brought forth so much evil fruit, thou beholdest that it beginneth to perish. That's what happens when we sin. 
and it will soon become ripened that it may be cast into the fire except we should do something for it to preserve it. Um, this entire chapter, or much of it, makes it really clear that there are consequences for sin. That when we make mistakes and sin, um, we will begin to perish. And if we don't do something, then we'll become ripe for destruction. Well, it says what to do. It says accept. Accept what? Well, accept if we repent and accept our Savior, who is right there waiting for us and, and, and wanting us to accept him, well, then we've changed the path, and then we aren't on the path to destruction any longer. So really, the, the main answer to that question, or one of the main answers, is repentance. Um, some of the answer to that question, I think, also comes as we see um, some of the attributes of Jesus in this chapter. You know, as we ask ourselves, where do we stand before God and and, you know, I've, I've sinned, I've fallen short of the glory of God. How can I do better? Well, by looking at the Savior and his response to us. And some of those verses, um, verse 41, verse 47, verse 49, he says, what could I have done more for my vineyard? And then he says, again, in 47, what could I have done more in my vineyard? Have I slackened mine hand that I have not nourished it? Nay, I have nourished it, and I have digged about it, and I have pruned it, and I have dunged it, and I have stretched forth mine hand almost all the day long, and the end draweth nigh, and it grieveth me that I should hew down all the trees of my vineyard and cast them into the fire, that they should be burned. Who is it that has corrupted my vineyard? Um, and he says at the end of 49, what could I have done more for my vineyard? So Jesus, in his... Um, not only does he come and labor with us in the vineyard, he is doing everything he can, um, stretching forth his hand, nourishing us, digging about, pruning it, dunging it, um, trying to do everything that he can in order to save these trees in his vineyard. And um, that represents us as his children, you know, what is he willing to do for us as his children? Anything he can. And, and everything. And what is our standing with God? Uh, Jesus loves us so much. And he loves us so much whether we're making mistakes or not. And there, there's three verses in this chapter where he's weeping for us. He weeps when we sin. So what is our standing well, the Lord loves us no matter what. Absolutely no matter what, he loves us. He wants us to keep his commandments and repent so that we'll be happy. But he loves us either way. That, that is part of the standing I love. So part of what we learned from this chapter is how much Jesus loves us all the time, no matter what, and all that he's doing for us to try and help us. And that's why he's offering this covenant relationship, why the covenant um, part of this is so important is because is because that is the way that we can return um, to live with him, how we can repent and come unto him and um, and become more like him. He gives us a, a warning 
to protect us. And it starts with the question at the end of 47. He says, who is it that has corrupted my vineyard? You know, the house of Israel is struggling here. Why is that? Well, he answers that in 48. He says, and it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, is it not the loftiness of the vineyard? Well, if we look at the footnote of loftiness, we, we learn that that is talking about pride. Is it not the pride of the people? Is it not the people saying, you know, I, I don't need my Savior? That, that's the ultimate definition of pride. Have not the branches thereof overcome the roots which are good? What, they're not keeping their covenants. And because the branches have overcome the roots thereof, behold, they grew faster than the strength of the roots, taking strength unto themselves. There's another definition of pride trying to take strength unto ourselves instead of relying on our Savior and his strength and the power that comes from covenants. Behold, I say, is not this the cause that the trees of thy vineyard have become corrupted? And of course, we would say, yeah, that's exactly why, is because of pride. So that's something we should be careful about, is not having pride and making sure that we always follow and accept Jesus and rely wholly and completely on him. And, and I think we learn how we can do that actually in chapter six, um, verse five. Um, and it says, wherefore my beloved brethren, I beseech of you in words of soberness that ye would repent and come with full purpose of heart and cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. And while his arm of mercy is extended towards you in the light of day, harden not your hearts. So, you know, we don't want to have pride. We, we don't want to say, I don't, I don't need the Lord. I, I'm going to take strength unto myself. What we do want to do is cleave to God. And to cleave means to adhere firmly and closely, uh, loyally, unwaveringly. Um, and that's with full purpose of heart, meaning we're going to give everything we have um, to Jesus. And I love some of the things that he says in that verse of the way that we can cleave, the way that we can have a full purpose of heart is by repenting. Um, it's by taking the arm of mercy that's extended. So being willing to forgive others, being willing to accept the Savior's atonement in our lives. Um, also, if you look up some of the scriptures in the footnote of 5a, there's scriptures in Deuteronomy and Joshua, 2 Kings, Helaman, and Doctrine and Covenants. Um, some of those scriptures talk about reverencing God, serving God, keeping his commandments, and um, doing all of those things with all of our hearts. Um, the way that we can cleave to God um, is is by doing those things with all of our hearts. That's, that's awesome. It's powerful. Um, so, you know, we've talked about kind of the opposite paths that we can take. And we really have a choice of which one we would, we would do. You look at verse 6. Yea, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, for why will ye die? So... Why would you die? He's saying this is a choice. Why would you choose the pride and destruction when you can choose your Savior? And I love the way he starts it with, yay, today. You've got a choice today, right now. Let's make the right choice today. Let's choose the Savior. 
Verse 7, For behold, after ye have been nourished by the good word of God, all the day long will ye bring forth evil fruit? He's asking a question, will ye? Again, this is a choice. That you must be hewn down and cast into the fire. There's a consequence if you choose if you choose the, the wrong way, if you choose the devil and to reject the Savior. Um, verse 8, he says, will ye? Three different times. And in verse 9, he also poses a question and basically says, will you? What will you choose with these things? We need to understand that we have agency. We've had two paths placed before us, and uh, we need to choose the Savior because that's where joy and happiness and peace come from. Um, so there's lots more that we could talk about with those two chapters. Lots, lots, lots more. But um, we're gonna we're gonna finish up here with something from chapter seven from Sherem. And um, of course, Sherem, um, it comes before the people and he declares that there will be no Christ and he labors to lead away the hearts of the people. He's learned, he has a great knowledge of the language, he uses flattery and power of speech. Um, and, and then he comes before Jacob. And uh, Jacob is like, no way, I have, I've got a great defense that's going to make it impossible for you to, to shake me from my faith. Uh, verse 5, And he had hoped to shake me from the faith, notwithstanding the many revelations and the many things which I had seen concerning these things. For I truly had seen angels, and they had ministered unto me. And also I had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto me in very word from time to time, wherefore I could not be shaken. So he says quite clearly, he thought he could shake me, but I understand revelation. I've received revelation. I've heard the voice of the Lord. I, I cannot be shaken. If we want to be able to withstand the devil and his temptations and his evil, revelation is an absolute crucial key to being able to do that. And I think we've learned that from President Nelson in his recent addresses that, you know, if we want to be able to, you know, stand today, that we've got to be able to be receiving personal revelation. Um, also in those verses, um, the footnote 5a, it talks about some of the revelations that Jacob received, that he he received an angel that spake unto him that the, that the name of the Savior was Christ. He also received a revelation, um, you know, where he saw the Savior. Um, he also said in Jacob 2.11, uh, he was inquiring of the Lord, and the Lord said, Jacob, get thou up into the temple on the morrow. And so Jacob has these really powerful revelatory experiences um, that are the, you know, uh, I guess his, where his unshakable faith um, is, is based on, where it comes from. And that I don't think is, I, I mean, Jacob was a prophet, so we don't want to, you know, discount that. But I think we can all have that basis of faith where we know um, and receive revelation that 
that we know that the gospel is true, that our faith can be firm and steadfast um, in that way. Absolutely, but only through revelation. That's how it comes. In fact, let's look at verse 12. It says, And this is not all. It had been made manifest unto me, for I have heard and seen. And it also has been made manifest unto me by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore I know if there should be no atonement made, all mankind must be lost. Jacob had received revelation to know Christ. That, that is the main thing we should get from revelation, is knowing and understanding Christ and his atonement. Really, revelation equals testimony. And for Jacob, in this case, you know, he, Sherem came before him and, and tried to convince him of things that were not true. And then in verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses of all of the chapters this week. It says, But behold, the Lord God poured in his spirit into my soul, insomuch that I did confound him in all his words. Um, in my scriptures, I wrote next to that, this is what I want. Um, whoa, that would be amazing. What do I want? I want the Lord to pour his spirit into my soul so that when hard things happen, when challenges come, when false doctrine is presented, when earthquakes and coronaviruses and and all the, the crazy things that have happened this week, that the Lord is pouring his spirit into my soul so that I know what is real, what is right, what is true, and I can have the peace uh, that comes from the Holy Ghost. And um, I loved that about Jacob this week. I have too. That's also what I want, and it's also what we want for all of you. We hope you have opened your hearts to have the Spirit flood your life as you have studied the Scriptures. I think... I think we'll call that good. We appreciate you listening and being part of our scripture study this week. And have a great week. We'll see you next week.